words make you think something, music makes you feel something, and a song makes you feel a thought. There's something deeper and powerful with singing, and that's what this psalm is about. It begins, sing to the Lord a new song. And you get the sense of vibrancy and excitement. Psalm 98 is about expressing praise. Verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. That praise builds to include all nations and all creation. Verse 2, the Lord has revealed his righteousness to all the nations. Shout for joy, all the earth. Get a glimpse of that as we give praise to our God. We are not simply singing for our own pleasure. We are a part of what God is bringing to pass among all nations. Do you know already, people have sung to the glory of our God in hidden places in Iran. They've sung in ancient cathedrals. They've sung in vibrant little storefront churches, all nations and all creation. You get this picture when Paul talks about this creation groaning for the redemption, that it's as if the whole world is saying, oh, people, catch up. Our God is to be praised. This singing makes a noise and sounds that form and fill the whole universe. Verse 7, let the sea resound and everything in it. Verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. All creation singing and declaring the praise of God. It's as if there's this increasing crescendo, a crescendo of inclusion, all people, a crescendo of sound louder, and that extends across time into the future. In Revelation 21, we read about the great white throne judgment when God establishes that kingdom, separates goat from sheep, turns away all the brokenness of our world. And you hear that in verse 9. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalm 98 is about expressing praise. And I'll tell you something else I discovered in the study this week. It's not an option. There are five imperative verbs, key verbs here. Now, you know what an imperative verb is. That's the strength of the verb is because it's a suggestion, right? Imperative is a command. Five times we read about commands here. Sing to the Lord. That's a command, not a suggestion. Verse 4a, shout to the Lord. Verse 4b, burst into jubilant song. Verse 5, make music. The make is an imperative. Verse 6b, shout for joy before the Lord. You see, every verb given to people to express in this psalm is imperative. The Lord acts, the seas do what they do. But in this psalm, when it's speaking to people and giving us guidance for life, It's imperative verbs. This is a command. Singing, expressing praise is meant to be more than simply a behavior you perform and go on. 
but it's more than simply a behavior. If we learn anything from the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, it's this, that motives matter. This psalm, while it commands us to sing, because it's part of the scripture, is deeply concerned about why we sing. And I want to look at that in a big way today. You know, if you think Christian faith and life in the church is simply about managing behaviors, you'll be a Pharisee. Because that's what Pharisees do. They manage behaviors. But if you, by the Holy Spirit, are able to let him examine your motives, increasingly you'll see your need for the gospel of God's grace and find a joy and a hope worth singing about in the gospel. Motivations. Here's the question. Why do you sing? Or why do you not sing? Lots of motivations. Let's kind of pick some apart and think what can be there. Some people sing because they like to sing. And that's a good thing. Others don't sing because, well, I I don't like to sing. And often behind that, people like to sing because they can sing well. And others don't like to sing because they sing, can we be honest, like me. But those are motivations of the person. I like to sing, I don't. I can't sing well, I can. I like this style of music, I don't. I wanna tell you something. We had at a tender moment here because don't you hear all of those motivations begin with the word I? They're I motivations. I prefer this, I prefer that. I do this, I don't like that. What the scripture is calling us to, in a sense, is this, God motivations. Sing to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. So we've got to move beyond these I motivations to something more substantive, God motivations. And I want to put a stake in the ground here. I'll come back to it, but I want to stop right here because it's very easy in this moment to begin to use shame to get people to behave. Understand this. When you think church life, Christian life, faith is about managing behaviors, then shame becomes a very effective motivator for behaviors. Oh, if you don't sing, you're not loved. Oh, the people who really have a heart for God, they'll sing. I've seen worship leaders who are like coaches, pushing and challenging, building people so that they'll sing. See, that's shame motivating a behavior. I want you to begin to see increasingly that the imperatives of the Bible invite us to receive by grace what he intends for us. A dramatic turning point in my own Christian life, in my own understanding of the gospel of God's grace, came from Andrew Murray, the South African pastor of the 19th century. And he said, we must begin to read the law, the Ten Commandments, not as God's demands, but as God's promises. When I read, thou shalt not covet, And understand, I'm an American. There's a whole 
industry given to stimulate my covetousness. It's called advertising. When I struggle with covetousness, I know that God isn't calling me to perform and then I'll be loved. He's saying, don't covet. And when you struggle with that, come to me because my life in you will overcome. I want you to see that the imperatives of God are not demands, performance before I can love you, ticket for entrance, the imperatives of God are the offers of His grace to enter in to all that He intends for us. Motives matter. We've been thinking a lot about singing in new ways, haven't we, with the COVID, singing with masks. I've spent my whole career trying to get more people in the building and everybody singing. And suddenly, we want to keep some distance uh, because of the projection of aerosols and pressure and things like that. We want to uh, sing with a mask. Well, I want to suggest to you, and I've spoken of this from the very beginning, the reason we distance, the reason we sing with masks, the reasons we're careful in and out is not for fear of our life. Fear is not the motivation that leads us to perform. I have no fear of government enforcement. Governments have been trying for centuries to get Christians to do what they want. I serve one king, King Jesus. But I wear a mask and I sing with a mask out of love for neighbor. The one I sing to gave his life for me and for my neighbor. How much more should my heart and thanks to him Seek to do the best we can. You know, we're still learning about the COVID. We're still figuring this out. But the reason we've redone the HVAC in terms of filters and how much fresh air comes in, the reason we're careful here and not pa passing the plate, you know, as much as we've wanted to sing, and y'all have been very good, we haven't had to worry about passing the plate. Isn't that interesting? Y'all have been faithful, and I thank you for that. But why do we do that? Is it fear? Absolutely not. Is it love of neighbor and protecting each other? It can be. It ought to be. I want to encourage you and draw you into that. Motives matter. That's part of what this psalm is saying. Verse 1 goes on to say, for he has done marvelous things. Friends, God has acted in history. We see his actions in the past. Many of us have experienced his actions in our own life, and we live with a hope for his actions in the future. Motives matter. Do you sing based on your preferences? Not sing based on your preferences. Or do you start with the marvelous things that God has done? Here's where I want to kind of open up for you a path to encourage your praise. I want to dig a little deeper than even our motivations. I've got a confession to make. There are mornings that I wake up well before the alarm. And I'll lay in bed thinking of the deadlines, thinking of the decisions, thinking of the demands, all the things that are coming for me. And at some point I'll get up even before the alarm. I'll begin to get to those things. And you know what happens? It sets my day off to a particular way. Am I the only one who's ever faced that? I think not. I think of the middle school student who was watching the comments on social media before they fell asleep with their phone in their bed. 
And they wake up shortly thereafter wondering what has been said about me from people that I thought were friends. A working class family that has three generations under one roof, one generation needs to keep working so the others are fed, but one is at risk. How do you face those fears and deal with them? Friends, I want to tell you that motives matter, but meditations motivate. For better or for worse, what your mind dwells on energizes your motivations, and your motivations lead to behaviors. Paul David Tripp, I'm in a small group with several other men as we work through a Paul David Tripp daily devotional that helps us really challenge the heart and come to grips with God's grace. Paul David Tripp says, no one talks to you more than you yourself do. So take a moment and evaluate what you're preaching to yourself. What are you hearing? What's filling your mind? What are you meditating on? You see, what fills your thoughts and inner life will energize and direct the motivations of your heart. And then out of your heart come words and behaviors, or by grace, obedience. What fills your hearts and thoughts is your inner convictions. Meditations motivate. So a question I'd give you as well is what's motivating? And what are you meditating on? Your fears, your desires, your wants, or God's actions in history, God's grace? God is acting in history. And this psalm says, sing to the Lord for, sing to the Lord because of his marvelous deeds. Meditate on the marvelous activity of God in history. We read in the book of Exodus how God, by his grace, took the nation of Israel. He'd called them as his, but after 400 years of slavery, he was going to demonstrate his power and lead them out of slavery into the promised land. That's an activity in history. God establishes justice and frees the slave. That action in history, as I motivate and and meditate on it, I begin to realize, you know, I spent 15 years of ministry growing churches, orthodox theology, 15 years of ministry as a slave to my own burden of self-righteousness. Oh, I was orthodox. I believe I was saved by grace. But if you observe my life, what you would have seen was someone who was saved by grace, but trying to live day by day by his good work, his hard work, his good thoughts. Saved by grace, sanctified by a lot of effort. That was the slavery of self-righteousness. I was trying to live as if God would save me, then abandon me. I wasn't thinking that, but in terms of how my life worked out day by day, I kept going back to my Egypt. You see, I can read in the Bible about the activity of God in history and find my story in it. God acts in history. And as we meditate on those things, That shapes our motivations, and it empowers obedience. The way to obey the imperative to sing is to meditate on what God has 
done and is doing. I want to tell you the kingdom of God is moving forward. Are you familiar with the nation of Mongolia, the Gobi Desert? It's a large area, um, 3.2 million people, kind of Russia to the north, uh, China to the south. In 1989, in the nation of Mongolia, among those people, there were four known Christians. 1989, that's within my lifetime. Four known Christians. By the turn of the century, there was an estimated community of 8,000 to 10,000 believers in Christ in Mongolia. Four to 8,000. How's that? There's now estimated by about the middle of the second decade of the 21st century, there's now estimated to be 40,000 believers in hundreds of churches and groups. They're meeting in most parts of the country. 1989, four. 2015, 40,000. I want to tell you, we might be concerned about American prosperity theology, but the kingdom of God is moving forward. Four to 40,000. God is acting in our history right now. Meditate on that and see how it shapes your life. You may have a personal story of seeing God answer a prayer, meet you in a time of difficulty. Meditate on those things and you will sing differently. You may still sing no better than me. For that, it's going to take voice lessons. And even that's a long shot. But you'll sing from a different state of heart and a different motivation. And you'll burst forward even a joyful noise to join all nations and all creation. Sing to the Lord a new song. It is good news. It is good news. The power of song to shape our lives. Henry was an African-American man in Georgia. And as is easy to do there, he got crossways with the law. There was a death. Suddenly, with poor representation, he finds himself on death row, wondering how can he love his wife and children? What will he do here? Henry was a believer, church-going man, as they would say in rural Georgia. And though he didn't have a lot of education or background, he'd learned to sing of the activities of God. A God who would take him from the challenges of life to a higher ground. One day he's called out of his death row cell and brought into a, a room and he meets a young law student by the name of Brian Stevenson. It's recorded in the book of Just Mercy. You can see it, one of the opening scenes of the movie. Now, Brian is nervous because he's never met anybody in jail and he wonders, what is this guy like? And all he can do is tell him, Henry, we don't have a lawyer for you yet. Uh, he was working for the Southern Prisoners Defense Committee, and he was there to deliver the news. We don't have a lawyer to help you, but you don't have an execution date. Henry heard that as good news. And he said, now that I know I don't have an execution date, I'm going to invite my wife and my children to see me and visit here. I can see them again. And as Henry and Brian began to talk, they realized they were both believers. 
They were both African-American. They both shared some common background. They were very different in many ways. Brian Stevenson was going to Harvard Law at the time. Well, life got carried away. Three hours later, the guard bangs in the door and says, you were only supposed to have an hour. And he begins to put the cuffs on Henry, tie up his legs and drag him out. But before Henry goes out the door, he turns to Brian. And Henry sang slowly and with great sincerity and conviction, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Henry had seen God act in his life, and he knew that God could lift him from the miry clay. And now in this moment on death row, meeting a soon-to-be lawyer who is not a lawyer, Brian writes, I sat down completely stunned. Henry's voice was filled with desire as he sang that same song that I had grown up with. I experienced this song as a precious gift. God is acting in history. If you, if you want to see a marvelous example of what it means to see racial injustice and do something about it besides take a selfie, learn about Brian Stevenson to give a career and a life. That's how believers do it. But it takes seeing a God who's active in history, active on my behalf, my behalf and holding that deep in my heart with a song so it brings together the thought and brings together the feeling and establishes me in that truth let your meditations be on the actions of God let that form your motivations and then see a new obedience his life in you our ultimate meditation ought to be the cross for it's here that God himself said, I love these people more than I love my glory. I'll lay aside glory. Jesus took on flesh. The God the Word becomes God incarnate. I'll give my life for them. I'll take what they've earned and give them what I have. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have moved in history. Whether it's long ago as an exodus, whether it's in the life of another, whether it's in our own lives, whether it's the hope we have, Help us to meditate on your great and mighty actions, for he has done marvelous things. And out of that, shape our hearts that we might sing, or in my case, croak a new song to your glory. Father, we thank you that you have not left us simply with law to perform or with deity as a philosophical idea but that you've entered our brokenness in our history and given us life. When we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died,
ask you to stand and receive the benediction, and then we'll sing the final verse of that great hymn as we dismiss. The benediction of our God from Ephesians chapter 3, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ever ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen.